0: of February, six weeks on. Now be honest, of all the toys that you brought for your children or your grandchildren, which ones are they still actually playing with? Have any of them managed to stand the test of time? Do your kids still look at them with the same joy and excitement as they did when they first unwrapped them? Now it's probably unlikely You see, the problem with buying presents is that you don't just have to think about uh, whether they'll like it in the moment, but you have to consider as well if it will be in favor in a few months' time. Now, back in 2019, a miracle took place. Tom and I were out doing some Christmas shopping, and we had the difficult dilemma of finding a present for our niece Erin, who was four at the time. Now, that year, we were spending Christmas with Tom's sister, her husband, and their daughter Erin so we wanted to get the present right for her. We spent ages wandering around loads of toy shops, like looking at all the different toys and options that we could buy, feeling just overwhelmed and with no clue what to choose. And in that moment, I had a light bulb moment. I remembered when my sisters were little, they had this thing called a kiddie zoom camera. Now, this wasn't just a camera. You could take uh, pictures with special backgrounds, you could record videos, you could play games on it, but best of all, it warped faces, because who doesn't want to know what they'd look like with a giant head or a squished face? It was brilliant. Anyway, in my moment of genius, I turned to Tom and I said, I've got it, let's get Erin the kiddie zoom camera. Now, I'm not going to lie to you, Tom wasn't that convinced, even after I told him about all the cool features but he agreed to give it a go. In his opinion, it would probably be a a one-hit wonder It would last for Christmas Day and maybe be cast aside after that. Anyway, Christmas morning came, and we gave Erin her present, and Tom and I sat with bated breath to see what she'd think of it. But she loved it. She ripped all the wrapping paper off, and she was just delighted with this little camera. It was an instant hit. And for the rest of Christmas Day, all of us were photographed countless times, had our faces warped into all sorts of creations. It was brilliant. But the next morning came and we thought, hmm, will she still like it as much as she did yesterday? And she did. It was awesome. She, like, took even more pictures to the point where we had to start deleting some of the previous day's ones because there was just not enough room on the memory card. Anyway, a week passed and she still loved the camera. Months passed, and the Kitty Zoom camera was still in favor. And even to this day, Erin still uses the Kitty Zoom camera. It was a miracle, and it will go down as a lifetime achievement for me. I'm always going to get credit for choosing that present. The Kitty Zoom Christmas stuff of legend. Now, it's just a silly example that I've used there, but there's truth in it for all of us. We live in a culture that always hungers after the next thing. The presents that we longed for and hoped for filled us with joy on the morning that we opened them. But before long, we all know our heads will be turned by something else. It's not just children who bounce from toy to toy, always wanting the next thing advertised on TV. It's us adults too. How many of us fall into the trap of always wanting the latest thing, the latest gadget, the newest iPhone, a newer model of our car? Our culture embeds in us from a young age that we cannot be happy unless we buy this or that. There is a constant undertone of chasing the next thing, never being satisfied with what we actually have and always chasing what we want. I've heard it described as a hamster wheel and it's as if we're stuck in this wheel, always chasing after the wants and desires but never getting to our destination. Our whole society encourages us to eternally chase after better. But the problem with with better is that even when you get there, you're never satisfied because better will always be bettered. Wherever we go in life, we are bombarded by advertisement. On TV, in magazines, on YouTube, Spotify, the internet, and so on. On every platform, there is advertisement reminding you of what you don't have and encouraging you to go out and buy it. Now, in my downtime, I personally really like reading BuzzFeed articles. But recently, they've massively increased the amount of shopping adverts and shopping articles. Uh, just look at some of their titles that they've used. 33 gifts from ASOS that you honestly deserve to treat yourself to. 27 low-effort products that work in the background to make your life better. 26 products that, you might, uh, that might make you feel like you've got your life together and 19 kitchen gadgets, under nine pounds, that everyone needs in their cupboard. Notice the words that they use. Deserve. Need. Makes your life better. The message that they are reinforcing over and over again is that all you need to achieve happiness and to basically make your life better is to go out and buy those products. And we all know the game. And yet we fall into it time and time again. Now recently, I uh, grudgingly upgraded to an iPhone 11. Um, And I have this thing about pointless tech. So that's things that I deem as you just pay extra, but they don't actually add any advantage to your life. And so when I bought my iPhone 11, I was confronted by two examples of pointless tech. The first, they've got rid of the home button, and I was gutted by this, because it was just so easy, you know, you click a button, you can do all sorts. But now they've got rid of that, and it's touch screen, so I have to faff around, holding my finger in the right place on the screen at just the right time, just to do what I could do with the click of a button. And number two, they've got rid of the headphones jack, so now my perfectly good headphones don't work with my phone, I can't directly plug them in. So, I had to go out and sp- spend £10 buying an adapter just so that I could use my earphones again. We see what you're doing there, Apple. And I rage about that, but I'm also someone who brought an eggy timer because clearly it was too much effort for me to just stick a timer on the cooker when I wanted a boiled egg. And I also went out and bought a shampoo brush, which was supposed to be like amazing, revolutionary. The, re- the reviews were unbelievable it's going to change my life all it did was cause a lot of tangles in my hair my point is all of us fall into the trap in one area or another of buying products that we simply don't need because we've been snared by the advertisement or the reviews or just the desire to have the best but it never truly satisfies now, last week, we looked at Sabbath as rhythm and how we can build a rhythm of work and rest into our lifestyle and create a healthy balance through that. Now, this week, we're looking at Sabbath as resistance. So when we look at our culture, we see that it is driven by two things. The first is consumerism, as we've just explored. But the second is production. There is this message that the more that we work, and the more money we get, the happier we will be. We work ourselves to the bone to meet unrealistic quotas. We're always chasing the next promotion or accolade. We expect our deliveries next day, even though we only ordered them at midnight. Shops open seven days a week, some for 24 hours a day. It is considered an achievement to overwork. How many of us have bragged about the back-to-back shift that we've just pulled? Or the fact that we've worked well over our contracted hours this month? Relentless work is like a medal of honour in our culture. We work all the hours that we can and accumulate as much wealth as possible. But we never have time to enjoy the fruits of our labour. Now Tons spent about 10 years working for Sainsbury's. And so, as a retail worker, he had to spend most of the Christmas period at work. Now, I was really lucky, because most of the companies that I've worked for shut over Christmas, so I got to enjoy a break. But Tom was always stuck working. Anyway, one year, Tom was working at Sainsbury's, and they had this particular advert that Sainsbury's used that year. And it was all about a dad who never had any time to spend with his family and was always stuck working, The ad pulled on your heartstrings. And over the course of time, the advert uh, portrayed the dad changing his mind and and prioritizing family. And it ended with this beautiful montage of uh, the dad putting his work aside and spending time with his family and his children. The song's message was, the greatest gift that I can give is me. And the whole message was about recognizing that time was the most precious thing that we could give to our loved ones. And I just remember sitting there, watching it, feeling so angry. Because the message was absolutely true. Time is so precious. But for all the staff at Sainsbury's, they were completely unable to spend time with their loved ones and their family because they were stuck working crazy hours for the Christmas rush. And it just didn't seem right. It felt like the ads and the reality just didn't line up. And when you think about it, Recently, the only thing that has begun to slow down this cycle of consumerism and production is a global pandemic, which has literally forced us to slow down because businesses have had to stop. And this pause has forced us to look at our lives and has begun to open our eyes to the fact that whilst we're working ourselves to the bone, we are missing precious moments. Most people spend time to get money. But the happiest people spend money to get time. The conclusion that we've started to acknowledge is that consumerism and production are not the be-all and end-all of life. Relentless accomplishment and accumulation is not what makes us happy. But sadly, it is what our Western society is built on. And when you think about it, our Western society is not that dissimilar to the Egyptian empire just think for a moment about the context in which God originally gave His people the Sabbath. The Israelites were enslaved to a brutal and relentless dictator who used the Israelites to make bricks for storehouses for all of his stuff. The Israelites were beaten by slave drivers <coughs> excuse me beaten by slave drivers, and their life was a grueling, unending slug of hard physical labor, all for Pharaoh's benefit. Pharaoh had unbelievable wealth and power, but he still wanted more. The pyramids still stand today, and they are a symbol of power and accomplishment. But they are also a reminder to us that this drive for more is built on the shoulders of injustice. And that's the ugly truth of consumerism and production. I would argue that this Pharaoh mentality still lives today, Perhaps today, the slave drivers of our age are our phones, because how can we really switch off from work if our phones are always on, pinging with notifications and work emails? Or perhaps even we are our own slave drivers, constantly pushing ourselves to earn more, to work harder, to climb the ladder. Now, we're not enslaved as the Israelites were, but we are still conforming to a Pharaoh-like society worst of all slavery still exists today and without even being aware of it we are contributing to it it may not be intentional but we buy clothes made in sweatshops we want the prices to be low but we don't think about how the corners are cut to achieve that without even realizing it we are contributing to the demand of slavery in our world and people are paying the price for that But by practicing Sabbath as resistance, we can do something meaningful about that. Now I want to just show you two short passages about the Sabbath and do a little comparison. I'm sure some of them will be familiar to you from previous weeks. So the first one is in Exodus. Um, Remembering the context of this is that it's being given to the Israelites who have been recently freed from slavery. And so this is being spoken to a generation who lived through that. So this is Exodus 20, verses 8 to 11. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall, do, shall, you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or your daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth the sea and all that is that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now the second passage is in Deuteronomy, and this comes a bit later in the storyline. So this is being spoken to the next generation of the Israelites, some of whom will have not personally experienced slavery. This is Deuteronomy 5, verses 12 to 15. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or your daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Can you see the subtle difference between those two passages? The emphasis on the second passage in Deuteronomy is this reminder of what God has brought the Israelites out of but it's more than just a call to remember what life was like before. It's a clear warning that their experience as slaves, liberated to freedom by God, was supposed to call God's people to live differently. It's not just about being thankful to God for all that he's done. It is a warning to not become the slave drivers themselves. Time and time again throughout history, we've seen that the oppressed often become the oppressors. But God is commanding his people to do things differently. This passage is radical and it's revolutionary. So often we hear that the Bible is outdated or backwards in its views. But here in the Bible we have an example of true equality. God commands that on the Sabbath every single person should have a day of rest. From the most important leader, to the slave, even to the animals. This is radical. The equality called for here in the Bible still isn't reflected in our modern culture, despite all the leaps that we've made. You see, the Sabbath is more than a day of rest. It is an act of resistance against a world that worships consumerism and production. Sabbath as resistance is about turning away from our wants and our desires and focusing on all the things that we have to be grateful for. And the by-product of that process is supposed to bless everyone in our community with rest. Walter Brueggemann puts it really well in this quote. Not all are equal in production. Some perform more effectively than others. Not all are equal in consumption. Some have greater access to consumer goods. In a society defined by production and consumption, there are huge gradations of performance, and therefore of worth and significance. In such a social system, everyone is coerced to perform better, produce more, consume more, be a good shopper. Such valuing, of course, creates haves and have-nots, significant and insignificant, rich and poor, people with access and people denied access but Sabbath breaks the pattern of coercion. All are like you, equal. Equal worth, equal value, equal access, equal rest. I just want to stop for a moment and ask you to think about what that would look like. If across the globe, every single person was allowed a Sabbath rest, Imagine that for 24 hours, every single week, the world stopped. Every shop, factory, company, industry, restaurant and so on closed one day a week. So that every person across the globe, from the CEO of a global business to a farm neighbour in a third world country, could have time to rest, to be with their family, and to be grateful for the lord to the lord for all that they have in their life can you even imagine the impact that that would have on our world families would have time to be together the planet would have a break from the constant pollution we would have a chance to uh, rest both physically and mentally we would be happier healthier and perhaps for the first time, at least on that level, humanity would be equal. It's hard to imagine what that would look like, isn't it? Because our reality is so far from that. It feels like pie in the sky thinking. But this is the kind of Sabbath that we should be modeling and advocating for in our world. Now, with a business hat on, the concept sounds crazy. Lose a whole day of production and sales, what a dent that would make in the profit. Yes, Sabbath requires sacrifice, but it can and is being modeled in business. Now, I'm sure many of you here will have heard of the Entertainer toy shop. Gary Grant is the owner of the Entertainer, and he does something amazing every single week. Every Sunday, the Entertainer is shut so that everyone in the company can have a Sabbath rest. Now, when he was interviewed about this unheard of business choice, Gary said this. As a Christian, I believe that there should be a day of rest, and Sunday is that day. As a company, we employ six to 700 people. Many of them are mums and dads, and it's important to us that they get a break where they can spend time at home with their family and their children. I've got a business that's financially viable. We pay all of our bills on time, and we make a profit. I can do that in six working days. Now, when Christmas Eve fell on a Sunday, Gary still stood true to his commitment to Sabbath and chose not to open on Christmas Eve. Now, that's an incredible example of Sabbath as resistance in a business context. Now, it's so rare and out of the um, blue and unusual in our society that it actually made the headlines. People were flocking to read about this. But the point is, Gary, as a business owner, is choosing to model Sabbath rest for everyone, just as God called us to do. Now, let's be honest. It's unlikely that we're going to wake up tomorrow to a news announcement saying that all of the world leaders have got together and decided to give us all a Sabbath day rest. Now, if that happened, that would be cause for celebration and a miracle on a huge scale. But rather than just assuming it will never happen, That it's pie in the sky thinking, that it's sort of fairy tale living. What if we chose to live differently? What if we, in our marriages, in our families, our work life, church life, in our communities, what if we chose to observe the Sabbath every single week? What if we modelled Sabbath as resistance? pointing to the fact that everyone should have a day of rest? What if we prioritised spending time with our loved ones overclocking up the hours in the office? And what if we chose not to buy anything on the Sabbath as a reminder to us that we should be grateful for all that we already have? What if we made our Sabbath about glorifying God for all that he's done and all that we already have? You see, I'm convinced that if we modelled the Sabbath in this way, incredible things would happen. I think people would notice, and I think that our lifestyle of six days of working and one day of resting would become an invitation to others to experience Sabbath rest for themselves. And through that, they might get a glimpse of the God of the Sabbath. By choosing to do life this way, we are actively demonstrating the kingdom of God on earth. So as I close, I just want to leave you with this quote. And this is from William Wilberforce. He summed up Sabbath like this. Oh, what a blessing is Sunday. interposed between the waves of worldly business like the divine path of the Israelites through the sea. There is nothing in which I would advise you to be more strictly conscientious than in keeping the Sabbath day holy. I can truly declare that to me, the Sabbath has been invaluable. So I want to encourage you today to build a Sabbath of resistance into the rhythm of your life. In a world that's obsessed with consumerism and production, we can choose to live differently and demonstrate a better heavenly alternative. Sabbath as resistance is a way that we can say no to Pharaoh and his empire and yes to Jesus and his kingdom. So to finish, I just want to take a moment in silence and practice what we've learned over the past few weeks of silence and solitude. I just want to take a moment to reflect What is it that God is saying to you this morning through this sermon? Have you been challenged by anything? Has God laid anything on your heart? Why don't we just take a moment to be silent and still before God and allow him to speak to us. Father God, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for what we can learn each time we open your word and we use who's to spend time with you. And Lord, I just pray that this morning you will just settle the things that are, or that we need to hear personally, Lord. Help us to learn about this practice, not just as head knowledge, but as a way to transform our lives and to be more like you. So Father, just as we begin to worship, I pray that you would just speak to us and help us to reflect more from you today. Amen.